Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Do you ever have a fantasy whereby you convince someone else to change and they do it and then you're happy? It might be a child. Very often it's a spouse. You know, they're doing something that you wish they would stop doing. Maybe it's the way they're eating. They're not exercising. They're speaking to you in certain tones. They've got certain attitudes. Maybe they're a little bit lazy. Maybe they're too aggressive, whatever it is. You just think, if I could only change them, then I would be happy. I think that's a very common fantasy. And it extends beyond our spouses, beyond our children, to our coworkers, our bosses, our politicians, our celebrities, and to the world itself. If the world outside me would only change to accommodate what I want, then I would be happy. Today's guest, Julie Pyatt, on the surface actually lived that fantasy. She was the muse, the inspiration, the guidance for her husband, Rich Roll, to go from being a sedentary, ticking time bomb couch potato to one of the world's fittest men in the space of just a couple of years. So I wanted to talk to her about how she did it, what strategies she employed, what methods, what kind of language she used to get her husband to become the kind of man she wanted him to become. And her answer, I think, will surprise you and will go against almost everything that we in the West think of in terms of how to influence other people. Enjoy. Julie Pyatt, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. <laughs> All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, we met on the uh, the Holistic Holiday at Sea cruise. And we did. We discovered a lot of sort of family similarities around the philosophy, around food, obviously, around uh, educational yeah. philosophy. Um, and so what the reason I reached out to you for this interview originally was for guidance on just feeding kids, right, especially young, younger kids, but uh -huh. we'll, we'll get into that. But I would love to hear just you're, you know, known in the community as as a yogi, as mm -hmm. a plant based chef, as as a mama, mm -hmm. as a musician, as a lot of things. So the first question is, did you like grow up that way or did you have some sort of transition from, like, you know, did you, did you pop out, in, you know, sort of spiritual or what happened? Uh -huh. Well, I mean, I, this, that's sort of multi-layered, but I would say, yeah, I would say spiritually I popped out that way. So I was always, I was always on a quest. I was way into Jesus, thought he was like awesome, like the most awesome, you know, personality I'd ever heard about. And, uh, I was, you know, hitching a ride to church with the neighbors um, because I was a fifth child. And by the time I came along, you know, um, just things had sort of settled down and my parents didn't really go to church. And I was actually extremely independent as a child. So I kind of was, you know, hanging out with people 10 years older than I was and, and, and you know, hitching to church with, you know, strangers. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, so I guess spiritually I popped out that way. And then as far as, um, I, I, I discovered yoga this lifetime. And the reason I say this lifetime is I just, I have an awareness that I've done this in past lifetimes. Um, but uh, I, I rediscovered it um, probably in my early 30s. 
And um, uh, it was actually the act of connecting to yoga and having this um, very visceral um, remembrance of kind of who I am at a deeper level, like maybe consciousness that started to shift my living habits and my eating habits. And specifically, the first thing that stopped was I just, you know, I was, I was never an addict, um, although I've used my share of recreational drugs and alcohol um, for sure. But um, I was just drinking wine, you know, just like normal people, you know, just, you know, a few glasses a week, you know, or w- really fine wine with dinner or something like that. And as I started to practice more yoga, um, that desire just completely fell away and I just stopped. I, I didn't decide to stop. It just kind of quit me, I like to say. So that was the beginning. And then um, I was, I'm, I've always been a skinny person, kind of a thin person. And food was never an issue in my family. There weren't like a lot of food, you know, eating issues or things like that. You just ate when you were hungry and, you know, that was pretty much it. Um, but uh, I got a, um, a golf ball sized cyst in my neck in 2000, I think it was 2005, and um, that was my uh, my gift to bring me very, very close and upfront to the power of food and healing yourself through, you know, food as medicine. Hmm. So what, what made you think that the cyst was related to diet? I'm sure... I mean, I'm imagining if I suddenly woke up with a golf ball, so I would run to a doctor and I would be very uh, susceptible to whatever drugs or yeah. procedures they were going to tell me to do. What made, what made you go in a different direction? Well, I did, actually. I mean, it was this kind of thing where I, I remember it was rich in my wedding anniversary and I was, you know, sort of preparing for our, our date night. And I, I walked back, you know, kind of passed by the, the mirror in our bedroom and I was like, whoa, like... I didn't know my Adam's apple was that large. <laughs> and, then, oh. and then I kind of looked at it. I was like, oh, this is like, this is something kind of big right here. You know, it was very sudden came on. So I didn't tell him about it till later. And then I showed him and, you know, of course he was very concerned and, you know, he said, you have to go get it checked out. And, you know, I've, I'm known for not going to the doctor. So, you know, that was, he, he was definitely, you know, very, very seriously telling me I had to go. And of course I had to go. It was this huge golf ball in the front of my neck. So I did go. I went and talked to um, three different doctors at UCLA and at the time Century City Hospital no longer exists here. But And they all told me that um, I had an MRI. They said it was not malignant. They said it had been infected, but it wasn't infected now. It was some rare condition that's called like a thyroglossial duct cyst, and it usually presents itself in young children between the ages of like eight and twelve. And I was like, you know, forty, so <laughs> so it didn't make any sense, you know. First of all, and um, and I said, well, you know, I'm kind of natural, and I kind of believe in healing. You know, you can heal yourself, and they kind of you know, patted me on the head and said, oh, well, that's nice. And, you know, you, you, you have a little time to do your little experiment, but you will have to have it cut out of your neck. There is no way you will heal it on your, on your own. And three different experts had this opinion. Because um, it was, um, you know, I have to say that if it was something that could have popped, like if it was like 
you know, like a large pimple and they yeah. could have, they could have poked it and squeezed it. I probably would have done that. Yeah. But they were telling me that it was a medium sized surgery where they had to cut out a cross section of, of some bones in my neck. And it just, it just didn't sound like a good idea to me. So I decided that I was going to heal it through the use of Ayurvedic herbs. I found an Eastern Indian doctor and I went on a complete diet, uh, you know, dietary change, lifestyle change. Um, and I, um, took the smelliest herbs you have ever, you have ever seen in your life. <laughs> Much to the horror of my family, they would start running from the kitchen when I would pull them out. But you, had, you probably had um, to boil some of them too, right? Well, and I was, yeah, so just always in a, like a warm fluid is how Ayurveda, so Ayurveda is like an Indian, Eastern Indian science of medicine. And, and the thing that I love about Ayurveda is what they say is that the herbs that you take are to prepare the body, like to restore the body to perfect balance so the body can heal itself. Uh-huh. And that just really touches me because what they're saying is, the body is a divine instrument of perfection. And when it's in balance, it knows exactly what to do. So my doctor never questioned that I would be healed. He never, he didn't say, okay, we're going to try this and let's see if it works. Never. It was an absolute certainty. He knew my body would heal itself. And we shared this spiritual kind of, you know, faith between the two of us. And so he, you know, he, I just went to see him in his apartment and he would give me these packets of dirt <laughs> and, and I would come home and Rich would say, what, you know, with his Stanford mind, he would say, what, what is that? I would go, I don't know, like <laughs> bag of dirt, d- bag of less finely ground dirt. <laughs> and, uh, and so I had a lot of judgment and I had a lot of pressure from my family, from my mother, from friends. You know, it seemed to be the topic on everybody's mind was, what are you doing about this? And you're a mother and you have children and, you know, this. But I don't, I can't explain it. I just knew. And um, I had a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, a breakout on my face. Like for the first three months, I had hundreds of pus pimples on my face. And I had people very upset about that. You know, like you have to stop taking the herbs. The herbs are you know, hurting you. And I was like, no, no, the herbs are clearing my my system. And I have to kind of face the dark before I get it out. So much to Rich's shock, um, about probably, it wasn't that fast. It was, it started to shift in about six months, but it was about a year and a half to two years before it was completely gone, but it's completely gone. So I healed it. Wow, there's there's a lot to unpack in that story. <laughs> well, there is one, one one thing I heard is you you um you use the word kind of twice. Like I kind of believe in healing myself, and I kind of believe. And it seems it seems like this yeah. was the opportunity for you to really prove uh-huh. to yourself something that you yeah. kind of believed. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't even realize I was using that word because I absolutely believe, you know, now I absolutely believe that the body can heal itself. I just, um, 
I would say I felt like I had been given a gift. I just knew intuitive, intuitively that I was given a gift, and I was given a gift in a way also that it wasn't that it wasn't super severe. It wasn't like you're going to die in a in a month, and and you're a mother, and now what are you going to do? You know, it was it was less it was less fierce than that. So I I felt to myself that I shouldn't waste that opportunity. Right. You the, know? the next one would be the size of a basketball on your forehead, right? Well, well, yes, we and we know that's the case, right? I mean, and, well, there's another another element also to this that's quite profound for me is it, this fist is also related to me finding my musical voice. Mm. So when I was six years old, I was a singer. And I mean, I remember, you know, getting the flu, like right before the Christmas program. And I remember, you know, telling the teacher in a very serious way, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go on without me. And I remember her laughing and I didn't know why she was laughing at the time, <laughs> but you know, but now I, but I mean, it was sweet. You know, she was like, she was, it was a sweetness. It wasn't like, you know, mean, it was like, it, it was like how child, how children, you know, delight you. It was like that. Okay. But here I had been my whole life and I had never sung and I've done many creative things in my life. I mean, I've been a fashion designer, a screenwriter. I did interior design. I sculpt, I paint, like I've done all these other things except sing. So here I was in my forties and I get this huge golf ball size assist right in my right in my throat. So, um, I like coinciding with my new Ayurvedic, you know, diet regimen, which consisted of dark leafy greens and legumes and grains and, you know, no refined sugar and, you know, no meat and um, almost no dairy except for milk because milk is sacred to, you know, Ayurveda. So it was a, a, a nighttime tonic that I would take. Um, but in addition to that, I started meditating. And so I would be getting up to meditate at like 4.30 in the morning and suddenly these songs started coming to me and I didn't know where they were coming from, but I could hear them and I was writing, making charts on paper and finding a keyboard and kind of marking the spots. Like I would count the keys from the left to the right so I could find where I was. And that's how I found my music and that's how I wrote. I started writing music and I wrote those two albums and that I then became a musician with my old two oldest boys who were in my band. So you see, it was very related. Like my soul was trying to get my attention. Like, Hey, <laughs> that's, that's so, fascinating. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm also really curious about, you know, the, the three doctors were a hundred percent convinced that you could go, you know, yeah play spiritual healing all you want, but you were going to come back for yes. this operation. And the Ayurvedic mm -hmm. healer seemed like yeah. had, had had a greater level of conviction or a level of conviction that touched you more deeply. Oh, well, above and beyond, there was, there's no, there's no question. I mean, one time I came into his office and he was crying, my, my Ayurvedic physician. And he was weeping because a mother had just brought him her, eight-year-old son or 12-year-old son, and they had removed his colon. And he was absolutely devastated because in Ayurveda, you don't, you don't, you wouldn't go cut an organ out of the body. Like that's, 
you know, that then he, there's nothing he can do at that point. Right. Right. So, so for, yeah, it was a totally different thing. And I did find that really, um, really interesting. And, and also I tried to get like information from him, like what, what are the herbs you giving me? And he just refused to give me or any information. He said, you have entirely too much information in your brain anyway, right now. So he was like, you don't need to know. And then one time I asked him, you know, cause I ate off he, the other thing that was remarkable about him, talk about sustainability. He wrote on a piece of notebook paper with a pencil, my diet that I was to adhere to for this entire time. And every time he scooped the herbs into the bags for me, he used the same piece of paper. So he didn't like see a client and then use a slip of paper and then throw it away. He used (laughs) one piece of paper for years. (laughs) It, it was just amazing. And then one time I said to him, I said, you know, uh, can I eat, uh, I don't know, I said to him, can I eat watermelon? And he said, he said, no. And I said, you know, this is getting so boring. It's like one piece of paper, you know. And he said, no. He said, I'm not changing it. He said, you cheat anyway. And he was right. I do cheat occasionally. You know, not a lot, but. <laughs> so... So yeah, so it's so pretty amazing. And actually, I had a really, I had a really dear friend of mine who's who's a doctor who also was. She's an anesthesiologist, and she was really kind of leaning on me to go in and get removed and all that kind of stuff. And then finally, when it all cleared, um, she like made, summed it up to some other outside, um, you know, reason, right? Like like she. She was like, oh, well, that's because, you know, this happened or that happened. And I just stopped and I called her on it. And I said, don't you take away my experience of what what I did, what I persevered over all those years. And she said, I'm sorry. You know, but it's the, the doctor mind or the, you know, the thinking mind wants to summarize it in a sentence or in a diagnosis, you know. Mm. Well, it's, it's like, um, you know, I've, I've worked with lots of people on my own personal development at various levels. And the people I trust the least are the ones who want to collude with my brain. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't trust my brain. You know, the, it's, right. it's, it's the folks who, who like, you know, when I talk, they sort of smile and nod. But they're really paying attention to something else, to something much more trustworthy, whether it's something yeah. I'm giving off energetically or the way my body yeah. is in space. Something, something I can't try to fool them with. Put your finger on. Yeah, because right. I'm, so, I'm so good at, you know, believing what I want to believe. As, as right. I mean, just recently, it's, I have a, you know, I have a friend that I met recently who has, uh, you know, he has uh, actually tinnitus in his ears. And, and uh, you know, I did... I did a healing session for him, uh, but I, I know and I can feel that he does not believe that he, that his body can heal itself. And there's nothing you can do to get around that. I mean, if that's the belief you want to have, then you're going to have that, you know? Right. And, and, you know, and Western medicine spends billions of dollars a year trying to get around the problem of, of, yeah. of belief by setting up, you know, double blind, randomized clinical trials with placebos, right? right. Whole, that whole thing is because we know that your belief that you'll get better is more potent than anything else we've got. It, is. it actually is. 
It actually is. And so the thing is, is as we look at what we're going through in our life and, and, you know, take a minute and really, really get how powerful that is. I mean, that is so powerful. And that's one of the reasons why I find doctor statements, um, you know, in, ge- in generalities or like, you know, to say something to somebody, you know, about a diagnosis that carries a very, very, very high responsibility. The way that you say it and, you know, because it does, it gets into your brain and then your mind produces your experience. Right. And that's, that's hard for us in the plant-based community sometimes because there's so much good science on our side. I think we tend to, Mm -hmm. to really lean on that science. And I find I've, I've caught myself talking in public about the effects of a standard American diet on health. And, uh-huh. and sometimes I, li- I listen a bit later and I think, did I just curse a bunch of people? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, listen, I think that there's a, there's a balance, obviously. I mean, we can't put our head in the sand and go, you know, we're really healthy as a nation when, when we know that the opposite is true, Right. Um, with, you know, with all the, all the obesity and all the, you know, diabetes and addiction to sugar and the gluten issues and all that, that's all like great. But to me, it's like, like for instance, in our cookbook where, you know, where we, we actually share all this lifestyle advice, we made special, special care to be completely compassionate and inclusive and supportive. And what I always say to my yoga students or my clients or people that I meet, and this is what I would like people to say to me, and that's why I say it to other people, is I just say, I believe you. I believe in you. I fully trust you and believe in you. You know, like, you got this. Mm. And I'm going to stand here and I'll hold that vision until you catch up. That's all. I don't think most people hear that very often in their lifetime. I don't think they do, and I think it's one of the most powerful things we could do as people that care about other people, as humanitarians, as spiritual beings. You know, if you want to talk about a Christ principle, and it's like, you know, I don't want anybody to think that I'm Christian, I'm not Christian, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious in any way. However, if you look at the being, the being of Christ, what is a Christ principle, to hold someone in their highest vision, that's the Christ principle in action. So no matter what is occurring in an individual, you can choose to see the highest in them and just not look at all the other stuff. But the predisposition is for us to point out all the other stuff, like all the, all the stuff that's out of balance. And then what do you get? You get more out of balance. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about, so you've, uh, in 2005 to 2007, you kind of re- had this, this odyssey of, of discovery of the power of the body, of natural mm-hmm. cures, and you're, you're a mom in your 40s with a husband and kids. How did, how did you begin to influence the way they ate? And I guess I start, start with your kids because it's probably less well, complicated. Again, I mean, well, you know, the kids, it was like, I'm preparing the, the, the food. So it's like people say to me, you know, oh, well, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know how to cook or, 
you know, and I, my answer is to learn, you know, make, make it, make it an important part of your family life. I mean, maybe you're not the one, you know, maybe you're a great chopper and maybe your son is a great artist in the kitchen or maybe your husband is, whatever it is. The reality is what you're eating is, is a central point of life in the family. It just, I mean, we all know this, right? So I would say, um, how did I do it back in the old days? Well, I had, um, I had an Ayurvedic, my, actually my Ayurvedic physician came in and actually gave us a demo and I invited my, um, my family, Rich was not there, but I invited my, my, my kids and some friends. Um, I would always try to make some Ayurvedic meals like throughout the week. And because I was eating like that, then they started eating like that sort of by default. And then I went through a really interesting thing, which this is, a, gets a little bit more complicated. And that is that I had been wanting Rich to kind of take my hand and step on this journey in, in many ways, not just on diet. It was sort of like all of the struggles that he was having in his life. And I could see his true essence, but he seemed to be in a prison of his own making. And, um, you know, he's a recovering addict and um, um, alcoholic, as everybody knows, it's, you know, mentioned in his book. But um, it actually, where the real transformation happened was when I was um, working with an Indian master who proposed to me, what is the, like, what is the essence of divine love? Like, how does, how does God love? It, you know, God, the force, whatever you want to call it, consciousness, you know, life. How does it love? Well, it loves completely unconditionally. It's not discriminatory. And it's constant. It's like the sun shining. Like simply, your love simply for your presence, the fact that you exist at all. So God isn't like, man, I really, I like Howard, kind of a little... And if he would just write a best-selling book, then I would really love Howard. Like, that's not how, that's not how she thinks. Um, so, uh, uh, and then he talked to me, my Indian master talked to me about what is human love. And human love is a business arrangement. It's like, uh, I see you, I think you're this image that I have within my own self. I project it onto you. We get together and then later when you turn out not to be that image that I projected onto you, then I get pissed at you. I'm mad at you. And now, you know, <laughs> you're in this like big problem, right? So, you know, he was just saying, he just, something about that just got into my cells. And I had been trying to get Rich to shift a lot of things for a lot of years and he was just unable. And I was like, wow, every time, the more that I, that I move, the more paralyzed he becomes and it was so tricky to find, but I finally got it, and I released him to his own life in complete love and compassion. So I said, I love you with your venti Starbucks and your three ad shots. I love you with your two In-N-Out burgers, with your density, with your addiction to TV. I was like, I just love you. I love you for your essence, and I'm going to release you because if I'm God, you're God. And there's a reason we're together. I was clear I wasn't leaving him. You know, that that was clear in, in my case. And uh, so I just decided to start loving him unconditionally, the way, the way God would love somebody. And at first, he was really shocked. Um, he could feel a difference. Like, it wasn't just lip service. And 
I think he probably was waiting for like someone to ambush him, like jump out of the bushes, <laughs> because it just it was a, it was a big shift, you know. And then this is when he finally one day said, "Hey, babe, you know, I I would like to do a cleanse." And I said, "Oh, really?" And he said, "Yeah, will you get me some herbs?" And I go, "Yeah, I'll get you herbs. I'll get you some herbs." And then for whatever reason, my body didn't move. My body didn't get the herbs. Now, it wasn't a thought process in my head. I didn't go, oh, I'm not going to get them for him. It just left my consciousness, and I didn't get them. So then he asked me again. This happened repeatedly, like over like a two-month period. And at the end of the two months, he was really frustrated, and I was laughing. I was giggling at myself because I just had, had not been able to move to get him these herbs. So finally, I got him the cleanse, and he went on the cleanse, and neither one of us had really gone to the reality that he was going to have to stop eating coffee or drinking coffee and what that was going to do. So day two, he's like huddled up in the corner sweating like heroin addict, <laughs> like heroin addict. And I wasn't attached to whether he finished like a day, two days. I had absolutely nothing to do with it. I simply watched him in love. I was like, wow, look at you. That is crazy. <laughs> like, look at, what, look at what's going on. And then that is what kicked off his his trajectory. And then came the, the ultra races. And then he became, you know, one of the fittest men in the world, you know, actually, you know, named that by men's health, health and fitness, you know, whether that's actually true, we, we don't really think it is. But, you know, it's a... Uh, it's basically his trajectory of, you know, writing a best-selling book and, you know, having a podcast and becoming the spokesperson for plant-based nutrition. So, and, you know, plant-based health and wellness and finding your own authentic self. So you see, here I was so good. I had such good intentions and I was in his space with my good intentions, right? right. And so do you see how powerful Divine Mother is when you just get out of her way? Yeah, I, I, I feel like for myself, uh, some part of me wants to say, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to Julie and I'm going to use the unconditional love strategy to get uh-huh. my spouse to X, Y, Z. Yeah, so but that's good that you want to use the unconditional love strategy, but the, the catch there is you have to let go of the attachment of what that is. But I promise you, Howard, if you do that, she will give you way more than you ever could dream on your own. Right. Yeah, and of course, of course, Trust I'm, me. I'm, uh, we, I'm speaking a yeah. little tongue in cheek because you know of the, two, know you are. of the two of yeah, us, I, I, I have a lot more, <laughs> a lot more rough edges to work on. Um, no, but, just, but it's, that, that, it's the truth. It's it's the letting go. It's the surrender, and it's the trusting that there is a force at work, and. So many of us, all we need to be told is that we are enough and that we do matter and that we're enough simply the way we are today, not in five years or not in a year when we've done X, Y, and Z. How about just we're enough right now, like right when we're taking this breath right now? Right. And I'm I'm imagining that the moment that you really grokked this love like the sun you became a lot happier and easygoing and oh yeah it was like you yeah you, you, it was, you gave up this well, part-time job that you'd never really signed up for right yeah exactly exactly and you know listen i'm not saying that you know it's it's 
relationships are, you know, they're an effort and, you know, you can choose in every moment what, what are you going to put your energy on? But I'm just saying that I, I think that a lot of, a lot of us and, and certainly our children, um, all they need is just to be loved for, but really for who they are, you know, and, and my, my technique, if I had it, my style, I guess, is to be transparent, to live by example. So I'm not telling my kids to do something I don't do, right. you know, that, that I'm doing, I'm sorry. You know, like, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not sneaking ice cream at night or when I go out to dinner with my friends and then telling them to eat more vegetables. You know, I mean, I, instead I'm making, you know, fresh coconut ice cream at home <laughs> that, you know, we all, that we all prefer, you know? Um, but I think that, um, the other, the other element is, is edu- educating is becoming informed. So it's, you know, talking about these planetary issues with your children from a very young age, letting them do the research, you know, uh, you have to give them the information and let them make the choices they want to make. Because if you're, if you're making the choice for them and, you know, listen, I'm being like extreme to this. Yes. Sometimes my, you know, my daughters are like, I want this. And I'm, and I say, no, you know, you're not, but the overarching is, uh, that they're informed, you know, they know what's going on planetarily. They, you know, we let them know, we talk about the consequences of diet and what you put in your mouth. Um, they know what really good quality organic food tastes like. And, you know, we've made it our job to have that as much available, as much home cooked, great food available so that they, they have a, um, like, a, you know, a, a, a biology in their gut that makes them crave healthy things. Right. I'm, I'm hearing that the theme here is a really sort of, to a Western listener, a really paradoxical approach to power. So, you know, I've, I've met you, I've heard you present, I've heard you talk to people individually. You're very articulate. You're very smart. You're, you're very convincing. You have a ton of evidence at your fingertips. And yet none of that represents an ounce of your power. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's, you know, it's great that you have that and you can use it, um, uh-huh. you know, strategically when you need to. But the real, the power came from just not caring. <laughs> And, mm-hmm. and from allowing, you know, when, I, when I, I read Rich's book a couple of times when I first got my hands on it, and what just what struck me about the arc of the story and about his, his awareness was that at a certain point, he felt like he was worthy of being healthy. Uh-huh. And that's uh-huh. what I think, what, where I feel your power came from. And it certainly wasn't your power, right? You were, just, you were channeling no. something so much bigger exactly. that, he, that, that at mm-hmm. some point Rich woke up and went... Well, you know, I should love myself more than than I am. Mm-hmm. The, you know, I'm I'm worthy yeah. of this, and that's that's what I think you were refracting from the universe, as opposed to sort of filtering it through your own, you know, ego judgments and, and needs. Yeah, and I mean, one thing that he describes is also like all of a sudden I w- I was I was absent from his uh, energy, meaning. Before then, you know, he had, he had me to push back against, you know, like, 
you know what I mean? So it was like, oh, well, she's, you know, she's in the problem, you know? And then suddenly while I was gone from the problem, and but I mean, I was really gone from the problem. And there's, there's different ways. Like you could be gone from the problem by being mad and then going, that's it. I'm not, you know, I'm just not going to help you anymore. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being gone from the problem and still the love was still there, even amplified. The unconditional love was amplified, but I was not involved in his life path. So I released him to his own life. And really what it is, is it's not, it's not not caring. It's extreme faith. Yeah, that's, that's the word that it was just coming to me when I'm thinking about, you know, when my kids go out or sometimes they'll be at like Trader Joe's and they'll pick something up. And I will be really stoic. And yet, like my son will turn to me and say, don't judge me. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> it's like, and, I, and I'm busy denying it, right? And I'm full right. of shit because, of course, I'm thinking, right. you, should, judging it, right? you shouldn't be having that, you know, coming up. With, right. And yet I'm going to be, you know, all, uh, mm-hmm. all cool about it because I know that works. Yeah. I think we need to be careful, actually, as a as a group and as a di- as a diet, because if we're not, we're going to create eating disorders. So you know, it's just, listen. I'm a rebel. Like I am the last. If you like, if somebody tells me I can't do something, that is certainly means I'm going to do it. <laughs> There's no absolutely no. You know, I will go. Oh, really? Well, watch me, because here, because here's this. Watch this. So we have to educate our kids and let them know what's going on. They are conscious beings. They are much smarter than we are. They care deeply about the planet and about the world that, that they live in. And I feel that the, the real relevant place to come at them is not eat your vegetables because it has a lot of vitamin K in it. They don't care. Like, they're young, you know? They're like... They're, they're fine. They have enough vitamin K at this point. Um, but I think that where, where we're, um, where they will be our allies and they will, they are allies and they are stewards of the planet is in a conscious, in a conscious format and related to the animals and to the abuses that are going on related to what's going on with our planet, the water usage from industrialized meat use. Um, and then, you know, listen, I'm slipping, you know, kale leaves and nutritional yeast into everything that I can. And it takes a while. You just, I just think you just keep doing it. You just keep doing it. You keep serving it. I have my 10 year old who wrinkles her nose, who protests. She's the, the most vocal protester in the family. And my older boys are, 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 are vegan through and through. They're even more strict than I am on certain things. They're like my conscience. They're judging me. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) um, they, um, uh, but, and my little one, she just, she has a much more broad palate, but my almost 11 year old, you know, she's the one that'll really, you know, really chew my ear off about different food. Um, But, you know, overall she eats, you know, 10 times more veggies than any other kid I know, you know, and doesn't eat any meat, absolutely no meat, you know. So it's the occasional piece of pizza because she's at a party, you know. And then I, now I let her, I let her make those, those calls 
and inevitably she's curled up with a stomach ache. <laughs> and so, you know, we have a deal. I'm like, okay, let's track back what you ate, see what that, see what happened there. See, you know, and then she, you know, next time makes a better decision. But, you know, I try to make it their decision as much as I can. Right. Um, but, you know, the rest of us are living a plant-based life anyway. So we have, you know, just everything about our life is centered around that. And so, you know, I don't take them, you know, I take them to healthy healthy restaurants when we eat out. And I'm, I'm pleased. I mean, I'm pleased to see how much, you know, kale. I mean, we were at Farm Sanctuary um, Thanksgiving a meal with the two girls, and they had two helpings of kale salad. And one of my girls is seven and the other one's almost 11 and that's pretty good, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, I, I also think it's, it's for, at least in my experience, it's easier to, to have my kids eat healthier when they're out of the house. Almost. Right. Then because they know, they know what makes them feel good and they get to, you know, there's, there's still my um, judgment presence floating around that, that makes them, sure. you know, when when they get out there and they're not pushing against me, they know right. what, they know what what serves them. No, and also you know the thing is is that you know listen, kids are going to push back against their parents. So that's just what I'm saying is it's like as much as we can make it their choice, the better. But I'll also know that healthy habits that are established during childhood, even if they push back occasionally, those are ingrained in them. And, you know, I know from, you know, my friend June's daughter who, you know, at before she went to college, you know, she was, you know, pretty done with being, you know, in the family life. And, you know, she's at college and she's the head of the sustainable, you know, club and she's giving everybody, you know, nutrition classes. And so, you know, they know that it's the right way. They know that it's a higher way to be. But, you know, no kid wants their parent, you know, nagging on them all the time. So. Right. And, and just, you know, before I know you have to go with the, you know, the, the, the story you told of how you came to exert such profound, I don't, I don't want to call it influence, but, but inspiration for, mm -hmm. for Rich is kind of the opposite of the playbook that, of the plant-based movement in general. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like we can, we can yeah. either be right or we can be effective, but we, we right. most of us prefer to be right. Yeah. And I mean, I feel that a little bit too, you know, from different, different factions of the plant-based community, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I eat uh, coconut oils and I eat avocados. I eat a lot of avocados and I eat, um, you know, nuts and I eat dates and I also, I eat honey that's consciously harvested and I know that in some of those groups, you know, I'm out of the, I'm out of the lines, the bounds of what's acceptable, but I know what's right for my body. And I also know that Ayurveda, it, you know, deems that it is a very individual process and people are at different stages of their evolution. You don't know what somebody's doing. You know, I have a good friend of mine who's a meditator who suddenly had to eat meat for three months and then stopped. Well, likely he was doing some healing with that energy. You know, so we really need to stop with the judgment and just take take all of our energy back into our own self and just be good with you. Be good with you, what you did and then share your experience without 
preaching and without attachment or judgment. You know, um, you asked in the beginning, like, how, do, how was, I, was I raised like this? And what I didn't tell you is that my dad was a hunter. And I was raised in a house with a lot of dead animals mounted on the walls. And, you know, we ate caribou tacos and moose stew, you know, for all of our winters. And yet, you know, my father is my father. We're very, very different. You know, we've connected through, you know, building and architecture. He was an engineer, and I built a couple houses in my life. And, you know, uh, again, you know, I I found the places where we could meet, (laughs) you know. And it hasn't always been easy. You know, I wouldn't say that, you know, ours is the closest relationship of all his kids. Like, I'm a very extreme, especially like the Indian yogi stuff also. It's like really whack for him. But at the same time, you know, I love my father. I know we've done a lot of healing together somehow, you know, by sort of synthesizing these extremes of existence. And I have no judgment for him. You know, I mean, he flew a bush plane, like, for, you know, you know, landed on glaciers and slept for weeks on end out in the bush, you know. And I, I guess he's more connected to his meat consumption than, you know, someone that goes to the store and buys it out of a package. Right. You know, right. it's not my choice. I couldn't, I could never do that. I don't have the energy to kill something. It would be, I would never do that. But... You know, at least he knows what he's eating. He's not he's not disconnected from that. Right. So, you know, so again, and listen, God makes us all, God makes many different flavors of this human. <laughs> and uh, none of us have a full picture from where we're standing. It's all about perspective. So we can either fight about our differences or we can find a place we can connect. And... You know, Rich and I choose to find those places of connection rather than draw a line, you know. Right. And, And, you know, we learn something from everyone, too. Yeah, I was going to say that that one one of my own practices over this past couple of years, since since I became um, a kind of a a voice in the plant-based movement, is I would catch myself just sort of getting my energy up, like not in a good way. Around <laughs> there, you know, almost almost anyone can piss me off in this movement. From you know, from paleo <laughs> to strict vegans to scientists to uh, to yogis, like there's you know, there's there's something I yeah. can find wrong with everyone. And at, sure. at, at a certain point, this this wise voice comes in and like like smacks me in the face and says, you know, if you're judging everyone, it really is about you. So, so, so it's so it's it's such yeah. a relief to even after I do it, like I'll make some snarky Facebook comment, then I'll be like, okay, where did that come from? Right. You know, like, well, one of my favorite, the favorite kind of sayings, and it's in tantra and uh, Ayurveda, not Ayurveda. I think it's a tantric saying. You know, we used to ask, you know, different yogi masters, well, what about this? Well, you know. What about meditating on one foot, you know, under the moonlight, you know, or just like, I just made that up. But, you know, we would just ask, well, what about this? Well, what about that? And the answer was always, for whom and when? <laughs> Every, okay. Everything is situational. Everything. Everything. And what are you going to do? I mean, you could be telling somebody or judging somebody about an action they're taking in their life. 
that is a key step in their evolutionary, you know, path. And who are, who are we to know exactly? So, you know, now that being said, it's like, I am a plant-based advocate. You know, I do know that animal agriculture is decimating the planet. It is a real issue. Okay. So I think that sharing that information with people in a loving way, saying it's okay, I don't judge you. Here's the information. If you want to come in, that's awesome. You know, good for you. You know, but we have to detach, you know, and that was my thing with Rich. I mean, seven years it took me to get that, for that light bulb to go off in my head. It was so hard. I, and everyone I talked to told me how right I was. I was so right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was so right for seven years and nothing was changing. He was not getting better. Right. Yeah. And I, so I, it was I, just, yeah. I talk about this with my kids, like, in, you know, in the, the history of humanity, how many arguments have people had with each other? And how many uh-huh. of those people who were in the arguments thought they were right? And how many, yeah. oh, and how many thought yeah. they were wrong? Everyone. <laughs> well, this is another, actually, one of my most dear um, uh, kind of inspirations and spiritual um, guides. Her name is Ananda Moi Mahan. She was... She was a realized saint, an Indian saint. She was born realized, and she spent her life just emanating this gorgeous vibration, you know, to the planet. And um, her favorite quote, and, you know, I've actually written a book of my own, which is far from being published. I'm still working on it. But um, one of my favorite quotes is, she says, every man is right from his own point of view. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, that pretty much sums it up, you know. Right. Call, call, it calls for a little humility, even even as we're we're you know just yeah. testifying to what we see, and what we feel, and what we trust in the world. Yeah, and I mean the other thing is it's also just so arrogant, isn't it, of us? I mean, really, I mean, how important is it? You know, it see it seems important. For where we are now, but it's only a perspective, right? You know? well, yeah, and having done a little bit of sort of meditating myself, you know, the teachers are always talking about is like, you know, we're stuck in a dream. Like, I can get really upset in my dreams, and then like, you know, the question yeah. is, well, what what are you willing to do about it in your dream? Well, I'd do anything. You know, I'd fly, I'd slice people's heads off. But I wake up in the morning, I'm like, well, that that wasn't all necessary, was it? No, 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 no. So it's just a perspective. So I, it always, I'm sorry, I, I have to drive, so I hope you can hear me. Okay. Um, it's, uh, how are you still there? Yep, yep, you're, you're, you're fading, but I'm, I'm going to raise the volume a little bit, and, and uh, I think we'll pro- probably say goodbye quite soon anyway. Okay, cool. No, I mean, the thing is, is, you know, how can we know from our perspective, like how arrogant to think that we know what's right for everybody else. It's like, just take care of, we need to just take care of our own house. Right. Take care of our own house. Just like, you know, grandma said, like, keep your hands to yourself. And, and the other thing that I'll leave you with this before I hang up, because it's been a very profound kind of truth that I'm sitting with right now. And that is, um, calling all of my energy that I've, that I've 
expended in any place, dimension, thought, argument, perspective, anything whatsoever, and drawing it back into the self right now, this moment of now. Mm. I guess, I guess that's, and, uh, that's what we call that. That's what we call minding your own business, right? Literally. Yeah, literally minding your own business. Just see it like a suction, like you're pulling all the energy, anything anybody took from you, or any anything. It can be a timeline, an event, a memory, a, a sacred geometry, any kind of energy that is yours, that is not residing within your own self draw it back to you and stay in your own, you know, keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> okay. Well, that so, sounds like uh, sort of co core exercises for the soul. Kind of. I like that. You should probably help me develop an online program. God laughing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. As soon, as soon as you're done, the, 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 the 43 things you're working on now, give me a call. I know. Well, Howard, it's so great to hear your voice. I'm I'm a huge fan of you and your beautiful family, um, and I was and feel extremely blessed that I was able to meet you and spend time with you um, on that amazing cruise. Well, right, right back at you, and you know, you you guys are uh, are my role models for podcasting. So uh, everything I'm doing right, um, I, I credit to to your example, and and also you know meeting your family and seeing how you guys share love and laughs and and um and just profound wellness is is really inspiring so th thank you so much for for taking the time to talk to me today thank you and uh and if you see dr campbell give him a big kiss and a hug for me absolutely all right okay howard bye, well Julie. lots of love bye you too bye I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Julie Payat. If you'd like to learn more about her, you can check out her music site, srimatimusic.com, S-R-I-M-A-T-I music.com. That's probably not pronounced correctly, but it's uh, phonetically the easiest way to find it. She's also a big presence on richroll.com. Go there and you can see her influence all over the place, especially when it comes to food and recipes. So until next time, be well, my friends. Keep digging it.